재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 There is a big risk, but at the same time, it's one of those things where if you don't do it, you're going to spend the rest of your life wondering what would have happened. So, of course, I had to do it. The expression, home is where the heart is, came to mind. I'm already set it down here because, you know, my family's here. little audio mosaic there of some of the very interesting voices we've had on our segment why here a little feature about expats interesting sometimes prominent expats who have chosen to make their life in korea and believe me the mosaic has gotten a lot bigger since then many voices have been here in the studio via our guest host and correspondent gp who goes out and does the interviewing of these expats and brings us their voice and their story he's back in the studio to help us meet yet another interesting person hey gp how's it going kurt it's going pretty well. Big move is very close at hand, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the studios are empty, right? Kind of creates a. It's weird because there's a lot of panels and desks and stuff that are just like not there. Exactly. Yeah. Covered in plastic. The next time we do this thing, <laughs> we're going to be doing it there, right? Every time someone says covered in plastic, it reminds me of like my relatives' <laughs> yeah. houses because grandma's like, sofa. Yeah, grandma's sofa is covered in plastic. Yeah, I had one of those too. Uh, we're talking about a lot about military on today's show with uh, Michelle from the Seoul Global Center earlier, and then you know drones. There's always that military connotation. During our Soul Bulletin, we're going to be continuing a little bit of the military talk. A little bit, not so much. I'm so excited to hear this person. I, I had seen this person covered in a magazine some while back, and I'm so fascinated by this person's breadth of activities. Yeah, and um, actually, a lot of my friends know this designer that we're going to be hearing from and they sometimes in social circles you hear like oh do you know julian and i said I don't, i've never met julian i've never had the pleasure and uh i got to uh julian woodhouse is his name and it's also the name of his brand he's our featured expat he's actually the first uh active member of the american military that we've had the chance to speak to normally i wouldn't reach out to a member of the military because a lot of the um, military personnel that come here don't really have a choice. So why here? Because someone told you to come. Because somebody right? deployed you here. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, but that's not the case with Julian, and that's why he's on his segment, as we'll soon be finding out. Hi, so my name is Julian Woodhouse, and I'm from the United States. I grew up all over because my parents couldn't stop moving. And I'm a fashion designer and a model, a stylist, and I'm also in the military. And during interviews, I like to talk a lot, so you have a lot to edit. <laughs> he absolutely looks like a model, too. Yeah, I've seen He's the picture. very handsome. Yep. He was, uh, I remember meeting him outside of his apartment building. He rushed towards me, and he looked great, even though it was, I was, like, perspiring because it was so humid outside. <laughs> <laughs> and he just looks at me and he says, hi, sorry, can I finish this cigarette? And I was like, of course. <laughs> Uh, so for the record, editing Julian's audio was an absolute pleasure. It gave me um, the chance to reflect on a lot of the advice that I had already heard firsthand. But, you know, when you're interviewing someone, you're focused on making them feel comfortable and allowing them the space mm-hmm. to articulate and elaborate what they want to. So it let me kind of look back on everything you said. Uh, one key piece that I really took away was about finding time, making time for absolutely everything you want to do on a daily basis. We'll actually be revisiting that later. Just to deconstruct what he first said to you, I'm a 
a fashion designer, a stylist, a model, oh, and by the way, a U.S. soldier. Just managing those four tracts of activity requires, I would imagine, huge time management skills. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll see actually how he goes about doing that. It's um, it, it's simple in concept, but in execution, I'm, I'm having a little bit of trouble, I guess. <laughs> but I, I seem to have more trouble than most people. Let's get on to the um, why he came here question. My relationship with the military started when I was born. I was born in Germany. Both my parents were stationed in Germany at the time in Heidelberg. And we moved every like two years. So growing up in Europe and Asia and the United States, I always had a connection to the military, always wanted to join the military for some reason, because uh, it's just kind of the lifestyle that I led. Um, so I ended up doing ROTC in college, graduated and commissioned as a second lieutenant, which is an officer. Then I decided after given maybe like seven options of places I can go to around the world, I looked at thinking about dual tracking my careers because I knew that I wanted to do fashion, but I knew that I also had to do the military. So I wanted to find a way of dual tracking both of those careers at the same time. And Korea was an emerging fashion capital. And I decided to come here because I felt like there was something interesting to experience. Something interesting to experience indeed. And Mm -hmm. if you're lucky enough to know what you already want to do, then you can do this dual tracking thing. We're going to talk about that in a second. When he moved here for the military, uh, a lot of people who come here for the military, it's their first time, you know. It was actually his third time coming to Korea. He lived here twice for two-year periods as a young boy when his parents were stationed here. Mm. Um, That detail becomes very, very important later on. Everything kind of comes full circle for Julian Woodhouse. And I find that absolutely fantastic and amazing and such an interesting story. He was already quite familiar with the culture. He said he also wanted to experience it as an adult. Mm -hmm. I have no inclination to experience Korea as a child. I myself, I was a teacher, you know, like, and watching my students go through that, I was like, oh. Yeah, I think that makes two of us. (laughs) I was like, where are your firecrackers? I miss firecrackers. You're not doing that, right? (laughs) So he decided to come here in 2013, was here four months after he decided. I asked him, um, how did he react to getting his first choice in places to go to? And he said, I quote, I was freaking out. I was extremely excited. And he said nobody else went in his uh, specialty school was excited because uh, nobody was really familiar with Korea at the time. Mm. Uh, that dual tracking bit, this approach to a career is becoming more and more common nowadays if you're not just going to go straight into the career that you really, really enjoy. Sure. Sort of have a bread and butter gig and then pursue your passion after hours. Yeah, yeah. It also gives you a chance to um, dip your toes into a lot of different things while maintaining that kind of stable job. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that um, this is just something I thought about later was if you were doing that and you try out a career that you think you're going to like and then you end up really not liking how it's executed or uh, having um, qualms with how uh, people go about it or a certain company goes about it, then you don't have this huge identity crisis, which I was thinking, you know what, it's still very possible for anyone to have. Yeah. Right. I'm in radio. I love it. But. Um, who knows where I might be in three years or even in six months. What if something happens and then all of a sudden I fall out of love with it, right? Then I'm going to kind of wish I had that stable career. Yeah, a little bit of a fallback. Let's not think about that too much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he even got to serve on the same base as his parents. Crazy, right? Uh, Which sort of makes him second generation, something that none of us really are. I asked him how he felt about that. 
I guess I never thought about it. My family's not really big on heritage, actually. Because my parents, like, they reinvented themselves several times, and I do the same thing. So it's like, ah, oh, the past is the past, whatever. But it is really interesting. Um, for me, my personal experience, like, I go to the building where my mom works sometimes, and there's a photo of her inside of all... Because she was a sergeant major, which is, like, a higher-ranking NCO or non-officer, I guess you could say. Um, and so, like, I saw her picture and, like, her... Like, of all the past sergeant majors of the, the legal corps there and everything, and... That's really interesting to see, like looking at my old school and my old house where I used to live and taking like a run down the same roads I used to go running down when I was younger. It's really interesting. I hear a lot of continuity in his story. He, he's excited about being where his parents were and seeing, you know, sort of things, what, what, what went around come around. Yeah, and uh, I have an instance of, uh, I don't have too much continuity in that sense with uh, my parents. Right. I, but there is some we'll talk about that in a second. But I wanted to ask you, Kurt, do you have any uh, continuity there between generations in your family? No. Uh, one of the simultaneous gifts and challenges in my life is a huge break in continuity. Um, I moved. We moved when I was very young, uh, lost a lot of contact with both family and friends. And so it was, a, you know, around my teenage years, uh, like a, almost a clean break in starting a, a new life. So continuity is not one of those things that I have a lot of in my life. Is it something you care for? I crave it sometimes. But, um, you know, you make lemonade out of your lemons, yeah. and eventually you learn to uh, capitalize on things that have challenged you. So uh, I don't require a huge amount of continuity. I can view my life as segmented chapters and somehow, you know, still not go crazy. There's, um, so we're talking about continuity, but then in, in my head, it also strikes me as like an echoing of your parents' history. Mm. And uh, I've been to Vietnam where my parents grew up, sure. and that was interesting to experience, but it was without them. And I was thinking, actually, my father moved to a foreign country to pursue a career and hopefully a better life when he was a man in his younger 20s. Mm -hmm. The same exact thing I did, but he was going from Asia to America. And he had to, of course, master English. I'm sure he studied beforehand. We don't really talk about his, uh, his life as a younger man before I was born. You ought to uh, get some of that. You ought to document some of that, perhaps. Um, make a little mini documentary. About like, how my father grew up? Yeah. I'm absolutely horrified to ask. Really? <laughs> it is not the relationship that many Asian Americans have with their parents, especially first generation like myself. Um, I would be super curious to know. Yeah. But unless your parents really volunteer that information, it's just not something that comes out or you're at um, a position to ask. Mm, and you sure you can't stick a mic in his face and go, Dad, hold forth. <laughs> I'm afraid about what he'd stick in my <laughs> face uh, in response to that. But, you know, I moved to Korea like he moved to America. And um, I think about it. And when I turned 26, um, I did not have a son. And that's when he – that's when I was born, when he was 26. Right. And I realized – um, he has great English, yes, fluent, and I do not have great Korean. And so that's kind of a measuring stick for me. Okay. Right. So uh, lack of parallels. But getting back for the moment to Julian, you know, what I'm hearing so far is he was an army brat who redeployed with his family to various locations. And then he joined the military himself. This does not sound to me like um, the background of somebody who would be super interested in fashion and style and all of that. And yet he is. Uh, he's got these dual tracks of his personality. Of course. And I asked him about it. Here it is. 
I think I got a lot of it from my parents. Cause my, my, both my parents are extremely chic. They've always been chic and crazy. Like, my dad was the guy in the lime green polyester suit and the elevator shoes and the huge afro, like, strutting down in, like, disco halls and everything. And my mom was, like, right there with him. So I grew up in, like, the world of fashion, I guess you could say, but more so style. And then... My mom bought me a pair of shoes when I was in middle school. And then, like, the world of fashion just kind of, like, exploded. I realized that there's actual really big brand names out there. And then it just kind of became a large love and obsession for me when I was in high school. So when I came to Korea, knowing I wanted to do something in the industry, I probably wanted to just stick to styling. A lot of the things that I did when I first got here was in that industry. And then slowly I started to, like, go out there more and, like, meet a lot more people and start networking more. And I met... So my initial team uh, was made up of two extremely creative people, um, Steve and Deanne. And it was Steve's idea to start a company based off of my accessory designs. Then one day I was just searching on the internet and I got inspired to do menswear. And I called Steve and I was like, Steve, I'm going to fast forward us into menswear. And he's like, uh, what? <laughs> and then we did. Korea's manufacturing force manpower is unbelievable. And so... When I was younger, my parents and I used to get our clothes custom made by a particular seamstress that we used to go to all four years, who actually was right outside the gate at Dongjuchan. So when I was thinking about this and I'm realizing, okay, cool, I know how to sew, I can do pattern making, but I'm not like store ready at that skill level. So I'm going to start working with a pattern maker. I know the pricing and I know this is all possible. So I went to the same exact guy who remembered the last name of my parents and I was like, okay, cool. I just did a simple sketch. And he became my first pattern maker that I was, like, partnering with. That pattern maker mm. uh, was the one that his parents went to. Oh, wow. And that's why I said that it all comes full circle earlier, yeah. right? Absolutely amazing. Uh, so do you know what a pattern maker is, Kurt? I mean, it seems kind of self-explanatory, but is there more that I should know? Uh, well, in case anyone doesn't know, a pattern maker sets out the blueprint on how a, um, a piece of clothing is created. So uh, they kind of like a piece of an article of clothing might be like three pieces and then sewn together at certain points, right, with the seams. And so that can be mass produced, actually. Huh. And I was wondering, you know, that's kind of what he got from his parents. This influence has echoed throughout his career. Kurt, what did you get from your parents? I got duality. You can't have uh, two more different people in the world than my two parents. My dad was a uh, bookish um, kind of brain smart, intellectually smart guy, a dentist, scientific in, in his ways. Mom is this 100% emotionally driven, intuitive, wanted to be an actress kind of woman. And somehow they managed to live together and not kill each other. And I have those two <laughs> halves in me, sometimes at war, you know, sometimes a tornado. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, these two sort of yin and yang sides of me that come directly from my very different parents. They, that sounds like a blessing, right? Mm, eventually uh, it is. <laughs> seeing the world from different perspectives is always fantastic. Let's get a little bit of uh, Julian's perspective, the why here question. And it's different because the brand is staying here, but Julian isn't. Hmm. For me, it's about resourcing. I know Dongdae Moon like the back of my hand. I know where to find what fabric I need, and I know which fabric retailers don't sell certain fabrics during each season. Like, that's a super fine detail that's not normally thought about when designers are designing and i just know this place really really well so as far as manufacturing is concerned i'm probably going to keep it here until i can learn a better way but i love korea so much and i feel like korea is in the dna of my brand i pull from so much 
I pull inspiration from so many different things in this country, um, especially in Seoul, um, that I don't imagine myself, I guess, relocating the brand itself to another place. I myself, I'm moving. I'm moving the end of this year to New York because I, I think for press and for things like that, I need to be there. So my peer agency and my sales agency can like take a small break and I can just kind of be like the face of things there. But yeah, I think staying here is is a smart move when you're an emerging designer and you start in a certain place and you have your manufacturing force there. My, my entire supply chain is located here. I can't just like up and move somewhere else really quickly. So GP, what does that mean? Does that mean he's going to disengage with the military? I mean, he says he's going to move to New York. I didn't get to ask him that directly, but I'm assuming that his um, his contract period will be over quite soon, mm. right? He'll be back uh, at least twice a year. D- Korea is in the DNA of my brand. I absolutely loved it when I said that because it's, you know, that's something that extends to all of us. Sure. I kind of have a little bit of trouble imagining how it's going to work. Um, the challenges that have kind of prompted this semi-move to New York include getting a business license here in Korea, right, mm-hmm. which made it difficult for him to receive funding mm-hmm. that is um, – Otherwise, you know, available to a lot of other legitimate designers. You see that with a lot of startups, um, foreign owned startups, you know, Korea likes to um, give this uh, equity free money. Yep. But if you're not, if you don't have the right visa, you're, you know, tough luck, right? Yeah. Um, my advice there would be to do it, um, you know, your own way. Do it guerrilla style. He just put on a show, right? To show people that he was legit and something will come of it. Right. You don't have to wait for the right visa to come along. It sounds to me like he has to do what so many other entrepreneurs over here need to do, expat entrepreneurs, is find a reliable, trustworthy Korean partner who can be sort of the uh, the man on the ground here, the one that's uh, fully anointed by the government in terms of licensing and projects and all that. Right. And work closely with him and then parachute into town when he when he needs to. That's a godsend, though. Find anybody of any nationality that you can trust with your baby, your project. Sure. Right? Uh, earlier in the segment, we talked about that timing that he utilizes. Let's hear more about that now. If you're already good and you have a strong aesthetic for your brand that's specific to your brand and you have all of your stuff worked out you have all your ducks in a row then you need to figure out a way to get your brand out there so the first thing to do is find a way to get press first you need to find a way to generate your own media which is in the form of photographs editorial lifestyle photos develop your own package of media and just have it stored away in some like electronic folder and then you just find a way to get it out there and get it spread out as far as you possibly can. That's in the way of social media. Social media is extremely, it's, it's free to do social media if you're savvy with it. I'm not. Um, but the way that I did it is I found a PR agency in New York that worked with my price point. Sometimes you'll find people that will help you along the way. As creatives, I feel like we are kind of indebted to each other to help a little bit, you know, like to give other people advice and like, oh, like, like where do you produce? Oh, I made I manufacture in this location. You should probably think about that. Once you find yourself a good PR person, which could also be yourself, if you have enough networking power and enough social capital, you can definitely do that on your own. But if not, you definitely need some help because I spent the better part of the first year and a half trying to figure out a way to get press and it just was not working. Trying to find the time to, one, pay the bills. For me, that was the military. But also do what you love if it isn't the thing that you're doing to pay the bills. So like for me, I split my day into thirds. I set aside a third of the day for sleeping, a third of the day for the military, and a third of the day for anything else I want to do. Those numbers can slide left and slide right. You can have more hours for sleeping or more hours for work, more hours to pay the bills. But I think at the end of the day, you can find 
some sort of time to do what you love, no matter what situation you're in. I think that when you're dedicated, you have a goal in mind, you can do literally anything. Nice, clean little approach there, that rule of thirds, sliding mm. left and right. I need to find more balance there, especially for sleep myself. The thing you got to do to pay the bills, the thing you're passionate about, and then anything else. Downtime, I guess we could call that. Yeah, yeah. He contextualizes his advice largely within the realm of fashion and design because that's where he's coming from. But I find that it's pretty much applicable to anything, mm-hmm. right? You have to nail down a process. And t- doing that has taken me the better part of a year and a half. And I feel like I'm getting there, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. Because I'm not, my brand isn't fully developed, you know. Yeah. But once you do. They say, you know, if you find work that you love to do, work that you would do for free, then you'll never go to work a day in your life. So, I mean, he's going to transition to this thing in New York. He's going to probably pour himself up completely into the fashion line and the military will kind of go by the wayside. And then he's going to pursue his passion 24-7 and it's going to just blend into this thing where he doesn't even have to manage his time anymore because he's so passionate about what he's doing that it all feels like play. At least that sounds like the scenario he's going for. And it's interesting also that he mentioned um, to me, I I left this part out, but he said, uh, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, Hmm. right? That's something that we all kind of have to manage, uh, whether we're living in a foreign country or not. So it's something I think about as well. Expand your comfort zone and then step outside of it once again. If we want to learn more about this guy, Julian Woodhouse, how can we find him on social media? Uh, You just type in Woodhouse. That's two words on Facebook. On Facebook. Very good. All right, GP. Thank you for another excellent edition of Why Here. We'll see you again soon. See you next week. All right. And Korea Escape is produced by E.Q. Huang with associate production by Jamie Lee. GP Wen, who you just heard, does the writing. I'm Kurt Asian. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Korea Escape is the handle. We're back at 9 a.m. tomorrow with our health segment and local eats. For those of you in Seoul, Amy in the Morning is up next. And if you're in Gwangju or Yasu, Hello Korea is up next. We'll see you tomorrow.